Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. And this is a concept I'd wanted to get into a bit before. I'd started and stalled and possibly even deleted a podcast or two. I want to look at the Cubs July trades frequently. I want to look at the Cubs July trades frequently with an eye on both teams. Not to say this was a good trade on this side and a bad trade on this side or a bad trade on this side or a good trade. I want to look at it as objectively as possible, as often as possible, and assess what was known and what wasn't known with the players as often as possible. So we can assess what sorts of trades are useful long-term and what ones aren't. Today, I'm looking at the Greg Dykeman and Daniel Palencia trade for Andrew Chafin. And yes, I remembered his name today. First off, I have been involved in a discussion on a Twitter feed, on my Twitter feed, regarding organizational prospects, organizational prospects just in general and more so specifically on the lower echelon teams as far as prospect pools. I'm going to run you the 26, 27, and 28 as far as Fangraph's prospect values. I like fan graphs because they show you all their homework, probably in more detail than you want to read, but it's there for you to look up. It's there for you to assess. You can look up what a 45 plus pitcher is worth. And regardless of if it is a 45 pitcher in the Brewers system or the Brave system or the Yankees system, a 45-plus pitcher is going to be a 45-plus pitcher. So regardless, which it's not a case of there's some um, coefficient that gets multiplied based on whether it's on a team that this guy likes or not. No, if, if it's a 45, it's a 45. If it's a 50, it's a 50. If it's a 45-plus, it's a 45-plus. You just add them up. So, okay, and to start with, to start with, to start with. Houston is 26th at 132 million. Colorado is 27th at 127 million. And Philadelphia is 28th at 123 million. So you have 132, 127, 123. Now you have at least some sort of a gauge on what 26, 27, 28 are. And I didn't really check, but if I were to check the 25, 24, 23, 22, 20, the range would generally be somewhat similar. Occasionally you'll have a big jump, but a lot of times it's 5 million, 3 million, 2 million, 1 million between one team and the next team above. Sometimes you'll have you know, a large jump of like 8 or 11 or something like that, but usually it's a short span between the teams because the systems are generally relatively rather close. Going over it again, Houston, 26, 
132. Colorado, 27, 127. Philadelphia, 28, 123. 29th is Oakland at 92. 92 million. That is a fantastically huge drop-off of 31 million between the 28th and the 29th spots. That is um, an entire large continent. That is possibly a galaxy. That is a massive drop-off. 31 million from one team to the next. That is monstrous. Oakland, 92 at 29. 30, the White Sox are at 53. The White Sox are at 53. Two of their top three prospects, Wes Kaith and Colson Montgomery, were 2021 draft picks. They will not be eligible to be traded in any way, shape, or fashion until after the World Series. I'm settling on the Oakland A's. They do not have a strong pipeline. Billy Bean has a tendency to prioritize this current season. And if he ends up having to trade a prospect to increase his team's chance to win in this current season, he will generally do that. That is his tendency. That is his preference. That's what he generally does. So if a team is in the process of looking for prospects, especially longer term prospects, perhaps the Oakland A's would be a good team to trade with. In the offseason, if a team is interested in making a trade with the Chicago White Sox, two of the names that will most likely come up would be Wes Kaith and Colson Montgomery. I haven't heard too much from either of them doing anything amazingly incredible during the um, fall ball or during the Arizona Summer League. I think I saw something on West Kate somewhere at some point. Don't think I've seen anything on Colson Montgomery. I had seen Colson Montgomery as a name floated to the Cubs in uh, in the spot where the Cubs selected um, James Triantos. I'm not going to complain. Triantos has been fantastic. Okay, so let's look at the A's. The A's were fighting for a wild card spot principally. The Astros had a leg up on Houston in the division. There was possibly some hope that maybe if the A's made the proper trade or trades, they could catch up to Houston. But as of right now, Oakland, despite a very good stretch, a very good month from Andrew Chafin, Oakland is four games out of a wild card spot right now. They can still catch up, but time is wasting. Um, The A's made an aggressive gamble to try to get a wild card spot. I think I think they were in at the time 
that the trade was made. They were in at the time. They've slipped a little bit, and the Yankees had gotten really hot. So the Yankees passed the A's. I'm pretty sure that's how it ends up working. But um, I understand why the A's did what they did. They want to win now this season every year. They want to win now this season. Teams who are fans of teams who want to win now this season, every season, ought to be strongly supportive of the A's because that's what they do. They are predictable. That's what they do all the time. To get a solid bullpen upgrade to attempt to try to hold on to a playoff spot and a possibility of, at the time it looked like, um, playing a wild card game against possibly Tampa or Boston. That's kind of what it looked like at the time of the trade. Oakland gave up Greg Dykeman, who is currently in AAA with the I-Cubs. He is... He's hit better than his numbers. I want to say that. I want to say that. I don't know if I'm correct in that, but I'm I'm biased. Um, Dykeman has Dykeman was a hitter in the SEC. I expect he will eventually figure out AAA and Major League ball. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but the Cubs do have a bit of time regarding Dykeman. The other selection in the trade was Daniel Palencia. Palencia was draft was signed internationally last year. The Cubs will have his rights for at least another, I think it'll be at least another three years before he's Rule 5 eligible. It could be two, but I think it's three. Pretty sure it's three. And he's already pitching rather well in Myrtle Beach. Oftentimes with a trade, it's not this team wins trade, this team loses trade. So many people right now talking about the Quintana, Eloy Jimenez trade as if um, what happened since then was the only possible option. I really think if you look at a trade immediately and regularly, it's a whole lot easier to accurately discuss a trade instead of waiting till three or four or five or 30 years later. You know, when people look at the Brock Fibrolio trade, oh, that was a bad trade by the Cubs. No, actually, it really wasn't. It really wasn't. Lou Brock was not going to get better with the Cubs because the Cubs were going to continue to tell Lou Brock the same stupid things that they were telling Lou Brock and not teaching him how to play the outfield. That's what the Cubs were going to do. If Lou Brock stayed with the Cubs until 1984, that's still what they were going to do because that's what they had been doing. There was no reason to expect that Lou Brock was going to be treated any differently in the Cubs system. There was no reason to expect any different results ever. The Brock trade didn't work for the Cubs because Brolio was injured and his arm wasn't going to be able to be repaired. And Brock got to an organization that taught him how to play baseball. If people were assessing it in that fashion back in the day, which they really didn't, um, it would have a different uh, tail to the comet. I'm going to say that. I think it makes a little sense. 
But assessing a trade regularly and often is a better way to assess a trade, I think. Chafin should have helped Oakland hang on. Chafin has pitched well. There's no knocking Chafin. His numbers have been arguably better with the A's than they were with the Cubs. He has been fantastic. That the A's have fallen off is not Andrew Chafin's fault even remotely. The A's have fallen off for reasons other than Chafin. Reasons that include the Yankees having an 11-game winning streak, which Oakland had very little to do with. Um, I don't think they played them in the... They might have. Might have played Oakland there. But still, there's you know a whole bunch of games that the Yankees were winning that didn't involve Oakland. Um, the A's have a philosophy of we're going to go for it this year, every year. And if there is a team that has the mindset of we're going to try to win it this year, every year, that is the type of team that if a team is underselling or under um, overselling one specific season or a two-season stretch, as I think the Cubs are doing, Oakland is a great team to deal with. Oakland is a fantastic team for the Cubs to deal with. And frankly, if there's anything that the White Sox are interested in, for instance, for instance, let's say at the end of the year, the White Sox decide, okay, the Kimbrel trade was all well, fine, and good, but we'd really like Cody Hoyer back. We'd really like Cody Hoyer back because you fixed him. You fixed him. We want Cody Hoyer back. Seems like a potential ask, yes. If, you know, it, it, I would not rule that out as a, um, would you be interested in trading Hoyer, Cody Hoyer back to us? I would not be surprised by that at all. Would you be surprised by that at all? White Sox pick up the phone. Hey, uh, Jed, would you be interested in trading Cody Hoyer back to us? I would be 0% surprised if that's a phone call. Now, we won't hear about it, but I would be 0% surprised if that's a phone call. After all, the Cubs are up against a slight bit of a 40-man roster crunch. Slight bit. And the White Sox have a couple of pitchers who are currently in their bullpen who are pitching like cat piss. And I was looking. They had a game a couple nights ago. They lost... Uh, they lost rather significantly. I don't know if it was like 9-2 to two or something like, you know, whatever. They used three pitchers in the game. All three of the pitchers had ERAs over five. Now, I I think one, I think the starter was Dallas Keuchel. I don't remember who the two relievers were, but both of them, end of the game, ERA over five. I'm guessing one or two of those guys, perhaps at the end of the season, maybe, just maybe, possibly, um, get rid of them. Just an idea, you know, non-tender type of thing, or consider non-tendering them if the Cubs would be interested in trading back Cody Hoyer. Just an idea. Hey, this is a little bit of land yap for your podcast. It has nothing to do with Oakland, but it, it, I, I'm playing with it. Uh, same basic idea, though. Oakland always after this year, every year. Now, if the Cubs, if the White Sox do decide, hey. <laughs> Do you, would you consider trading Cody Hoyer to us 
because he seems to be fixed and we would be interested in getting him back. If that is the call-up, if that is the question, here's what my call here, here's what my response is. I'd seriously consider if you're interested in sending us Wes Kaith. <laughs> Wes Kaith is their um first round draft pick in 2021. He was a name that was allegedly being considered seriously by the Cubs, possibly if um Jordan Wicks, who starts tonight on the marquee network starting for South Bend. Perhaps if Jordan Wicks had been already selected, perhaps West Kaith might have been the name that the Cubs would have called. Cody Hoyer for West Kaith. <coughs> That'd be an interesting trade, wouldn't it be? Because that what the Cubs would end up doing, that what the Cubs would end up doing is they get a half a year of Cody Hoyer and upgrade him from incidental piece that's uh, considered horrible and is in AAA to getting traded for the White Sox 2021 draft pick. Now, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But if that phone call is made, you know, hey, we want Cody Hoyer back. Would you consider it? Oh, I would definitely say West Kate. Because then what the Cubs would do is they would end up getting West Kate, who is the long-term piece, long-term type of piece that the Cubs were probably looking for anyway. But West Kate couldn't be traded in July. West Kate could not be traded in July. He can't be traded until after the World Series. So if the White Sox do decide, oopsies, we shouldn't have traded Cody Hoyer, but we did because we were absolutely desperate to get Craig Kimbrell if the phone call is made. Would the Cubs be interested in trading Cody Hoyer at the end of the season for West Kate? Oh, hell yeah, I'd do that. Oh, hell yeah, I'd do that. Um, but yeah, revisiting trades periodically, checking to see what's going on. Um, Daniel Palencia has done very well in Myrtle Beach. His one big concern is once he gets into a jam, he tends to... Um, wander a bit and his mind starts to wander it would seem and his effectiveness drops severely once a couple runners get on not so much one but if he gets in that situation where he has the two runner inning then he starts to get fidgety and um, his pace goes away <coughs> that seems like it's something that the Cubs ought to be able to work on probably in the off-season in regards to um, mental skills as far as make sure to remember to breathe. If you have two runners on base, make sure to remember to breathe. Make sure to remember my stuff is still good. Make sure to remember 97, 98 up in the zone. Hitters are still going to have a hard time hitting that even if there's a runner on first base. So, yeah, I do want to revisit trades periodically because as we learn more about players, we find out if the things that we thought we knew in July end up being accurate. And with players like Palencia, who very few Cubs fans had ever 
watched pitch or heard pitch or anything. Uh, he had he had a couple of strikeouts in the second inning. I finally ended up getting video. Um, one was 98 and up in the zone. And here, here try to hit it. And the hitter didn't hit it. The other was a curveball that I really think the hitter was expecting something 97, 98 up in the zone. He didn't get it, and he, just, he had a really good view of the curve snapping over the plate, though. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to try to look back at some of the trades, see if there is more information now than there was then, and piece some things together. Because waiting until... Uh, six years or 10 years or 15 years or 30 years after a trade to assess it is kind of hogwash. Kind of hogwash. It makes a whole lot more sense to constantly reassess. And as you constantly reassess, is there another um, something you can possibly learn from a trade? Hey, maybe we should try this. Maybe this ought to be looked into. Um, I strongly look, consider, I strongly consider as you look at the Cubs 40 man roster for the off season, as you look at the Cubs 40 man roster for the off season, there may be players on there that if the right sort of offer is made for any of those players, they may be trade possibilities. Consider those. Think them out. Walk them through. And one of my favorites is Dylan Maples. One of my favorites is Dylan Maples. Maples should not be non-tendered. However, finding a team to trade Dylan Maples to for any specific measure of value is difficult. Sometimes you can have two things in your mind at the same time. Dylan Maples should be tendered a contract and trading Dylan Maples in the offseason will be difficult. Those are two somewhat conflicting thoughts in my mind. It is possible to have conflicting thoughts in your mind on the same player at the same time. Much like I was telling someone today, Garrett Crochet was a starter in his draft season, even though he only pitched in one game. His manager held him out due to extreme safety reasons. Not COVID, not COVID, not COVID. However, after his first start of the season, he was going to be a starter the rest of the season. Then COVID happened and the rest of the season was wiped. If a player was held out due to extreme safety concerns, safety concerns for the player, and he didn't pitch the first three weeks of the season. And he pitched in the fourth week of the season and was going to be a starter the rest of the way. He was a starter, even though COVID canceled the rest of the season. So yeah, it is possible to have seemingly conflicting thoughts on a player, seemingly conflicting ideas on um, player development. It is possible for that to happen. And it's perfectly good to assess that the um, eh, what dichotomy exists in your mind. 
you're, that you yes i'm having difficulty um equalizing these two thoughts it is completely legitimate it is completely possible to have uh conflicting thoughts in your mind and if you run through them enough if you toss through them enough if you come up with enough ideas if you talk with enough people who are interested in the same sorts of things that you are sometimes you can modify clarify uh those thoughts oakland made a good trade oakland made a good trade getting chafin oakland made a good trade for chafin chafin has done well oakland made a good trade for chafin even if chafin didn't do well because when they acquired chafin the logic was he should continue to do well he should help us nail down an off uh, a postseason spot chafin has pitched well oakland has trailed off that is not on chafin that is not on the trade being bad oakland knew exactly what they were giving up willingly oakland got what they wanted the cubs got what they wanted it was a win win trade irrespective of whether the a's make the playoffs the a's thought Shafen would upgrade their team other things have happened and the a's have not done as well as they had thought that doesn't make the Shafen trade bad thanks for stopping by have a wonderful weekend and i hope you're planning on checking out jordan wicks tonight whether it's on marquee network or on the audio stream thanks for stopping by be safe be nice to others let me know if you like these kind of podcasts these specific kinds of look back at trades podcasts and have a great rest of your sunday